Well, great. It's uh, good to have you all today. Uh, as I said, it's the change of the seasons. Uh, we feel like school's finishing and uh, uh, we start the summer and we've got uh, graduation uh, ceremonies. And uh, a month ago or a few weeks ago, I was at my daughter's uh, college graduation ceremony. And uh, the speaker was, uh, I was really just loved the whole uh, ceremony. I mean, this guy's captivated me with his, um, with his message. Uh, I thought it was very well done. Uh, it was one of those, uh, you know, um, commencement speeches that I just enjoyed from beginning to end. Uh, it, it, so I absolutely loved it. The guy that they had, I think we've got a, a, a slide up there, uh, is, is Adam Ellick. And he is a journalist uh, for the New York Times. And um, he sort of got video editing, video broadcasting uh, to be the new way of bringing messages. So he started in the mid-2000s. Uh, and uh, he really did a ph phenomenal job with, with this message. What I didn't realize wa was that there was incredible tension on the campus. Uh, this whole Black Lives Matter uh, that's been spreading through the you know, Midwest and then some of the university campuses uh, was still a red-hot issue at commencement. So behind the scenes, what had happened is the students had um, decided that the college wasn't doing a good enough job with, uh, for people of color. And uh, so the students decided they're going to vote whether they think the president of the college is competent or not. And so even though it's a non-binding vote, uh, they all got together and they voted and they decided that the, that the president is incompetent and needs to resign. And uh, then being, you know, hey, this is college, uh, the kids decided they're not going to go to uh, classes. They're going to camp out in the cafeteria as a protest and uh, insist that their demands get met. And so that all takes place on the college. And uh, then they have this guy as a, a commencement speaker. And the thing that was so intriguing to me was he is not a Christian, or he's not professing to be a Christian, and yet his life work uh, seems to me to be promoting a, a Christian message, which is to say, how do we get social justice uh, to the front? Where can he be a voice for people that don't have a voice? And how can uh, somebody like you and I, or in his case, use his career to make a difference in this world? And so one of the stories that really got him uh, well known was his video news coverage of Malala. And for those that, of you that uh, don't know the story, Malala, Yus I can't pronounce her last name, Yusefsi, uh, was uh, shot in the head by the Taliban because she wanted women, girls, to have education. And uh, so she was severely uh, injured, brain damaged, uh, and he covered the story, got a lot of publicity for that, and ended up, uh, she ended up, Malala ended up winning the Nobel Peace Prize as a result, being the youngest recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. But um, this guy, Adam Ellick, he also just has spent his whole life going to places that you and I you know, would avoid. Uh, so covering you know, the ISIS beheadings, uh, 
covering people that have uh, escaped from ISIS, uh, covering the uprising in the Middle East when it all started, uh, going to places in Africa uh, where you know people are being mistreated uh, and massacres are happening, and going down to Venezuela when uh, Juve Chavez was you know taking the land away from the locals to you know have his form of government and you know anywhere where there's human rights abuse he was filming it and he was giving uh, a coverage to it now uh, what was particularly intriguing to me at the campus was you've got to have a real skill and a real art to be standing on the college campus at graduation and to ream out the president of the college who's sitting right next to you and simultaneously ream out all the kids, all the students, and both tell him, listen, you both messed up. I mean, if you can pull that off and then get the support of all the students and of the president when you finish speaking, I mean, y you've done something pretty awesome. So he did this. He, he, says, he starts off and he says, look, when I was a kid in college, I better not call him kids, like when I was a college, whatever, person, mature person. He said he was uh, heading up the uh, college newspaper. And he said this was 15 years ago. And he said 15 years ago, the main issue that they were dealing with was racial discrimination on campus. He says, so here we are 15 years later, and this is still the hot topic. He says, folks, th there's something up. It, th it's not right. Th there's a problem here. And so, you know, he's looking at the president and he's saying, look, you know, something needs to be done. It's not okay to just say we're working on it. Uh, so uh, at the same time then, he then says to the college student, he said, look, the way you guys went about it, are you, are you like idiots? I mean, just like sitting in and making demands and, and not being willing to negotiate and to talk and to be reasonable. And so like the students are there and the president's there. Now the president has resigned as a result of this, even though it was a non-binding whatever, he's He's resigned. And the students, I mean, I don't, you know, I think, I don't know where they're going. They're learning something from this. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is here is a guy who is willing to stand up and to be bold and to say things that are politically incorrect or impolite or whatever because he's motivated by the fact that there needs to be equality. There needs to be social justice. People that are on the out need to be on the in. It's not okay for people in power, for the in crowd, for the, for the wealthy, for you know, those that are uh, in the select religious group, whatever country, makeup. It's not okay. There needs to be a sense where each individual, each human is, what would you know, Christ-like. It's human. We, we, Christ values each individual. Now, he's not saying that, but that's the motive that he's coming from. He's going to bat for inequality. He's going to bat for social justice. And, you know, I just thought he did a phenomenal job. And I tell you, after he finished speaking, uh, the president of the college was just like cheering him. It's just it was like it was a, just a great, uh, you know, address and just he was just thrilled. And the college kids were like thrilled as well. It was, it was just really an interesting and remarkable um, uh, college commencement address. Now, all of that to say, uh, I want to talk about the significance of baptism. And you're like, what the heck has that got to do with baptism? Well, in a way it does, because when we get baptized, we are saying that we want to be followers of Christ. When we are followers of Christ, our 
attitude needs to change to be more, what do you know, Christ-like. And Christ is in interested in people. He's interested in the people that are marginalized. He's, in, he's interested in the people that are left out in this world. And when we receive Christ, Christ starts working within us to change us. And when we get changed authentically in Christ, we cannot help but be a positive light to this world, a, li a light that radiates the love of Christ, and not only radiates the love of Christ, but is willing to do something about it. We just can't help it. We're motivated when we see people that are hurting, when we see injustice. There's something within us which says, I need to speak up. I need to help those that are hurting, those that are marginalized, those that are being you know, spoken badly about. So uh, I just want to pray today that Christ would speak to each one of us. Uh, he would encourage us. He would fill us uh, with what it is that He's doing in our lives and in the people around, around us uh, and what He wants to do. And that there'd be a sense of delight in us uh, that we can do the things that Christ is putting in front of us to do. So Jesus, I, I just thank you uh, that you do um, change us, that it's not through our brilliance, it's not through our smarts, it's not through anything that we can actually do in our own strength, but by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, and by our ability to lean on you and to ask you for guidance and ask you for help, uh, Lord, you restore us personally, and you change us from within, and you make us better people, and you bring levity and laughter to our lives, and uh, you're able to help us to transform this world. So, Lord, I just invite your presence this morning. Empower what I'm going to say. Uh, change my heart. Change the hearts of those around us. Lord, we desire more of you and more of your Holy Spirit. And we just welcome your presence here. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, I want to talk about baptism. And, you know, you may uh, or may not know that uh, in the Bible... There's many different types of baptism that uh, get spoken about. So uh, hopefully, uh, when you think of baptism, you're thinking of water baptism, because that's what we're doing today. But uh, if you've got a, a sort of half-decent short-term memory, you would realize that just a few weeks ago, I was speaking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and indeed, uh, you've got John's baptism, and you've got a baptism of suffering. You've got all sorts of other baptisms mentioned in the Bible uh, but today I want to talk about uh, baptism as it relates to uh, an outward sign that <clears throat> something's happened internally. Excuse me. When... <clears throat> Christ and we obey Christ and we get baptized, uh, that's what I, I want to talk about today. So uh, if you, if you want to follow along, you can either do it on your handy-dandy phone or you can be very old-fashioned and do it in, your, in a book form. I do prefer personally the book form. I don't have any problem if you prefer the electronic version. It's really not a big deal. But reading from God's Word in whatever format you choose. This is a New, in, a new Living Translation. 
Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says this, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So uh, the first point that I want to make, which for those that have been believers for a long time, it's like, duh, uh, and that's this, because it's such a common mistake. Uh, Getting baptized does not get you saved. Uh, You know, human nature uh, loves to do things hoping that in doing something, something that we can do in our own strength uh, is going to help us like inherit something spiritual. You know, so we think, okay, if, if, you know, if I tithe, God is just going to like richly bless me, which I believe he will, but it's a bad motive for tithing. Uh, the right motive would be, I want to obey God, and this is one of the things God tells me. Or you say, you know, if I pray, I, I will just look hugely like, humble. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to earn some points with God. It's the right posture. And if I just do these things, uh, you know, I'll just be like such a good person. Now, I'm a big fan of people praying. I think you really ought to pray. But the motive is a big deal. If you're doing it to try and look holy, or you're doing it because you, you, you're trying to uh, win over God's love or favor, uh, I'm just telling you, you're failing. You should be praying because you really desire to speak to God. I mean, that's the motive for prayer. And you really desire to hear from God. But to put prayer as a sort of false pretense for other things is a problem. And likewise with baptism. This is a common mistake. People think, okay, I need to join the church. I need to become a Christian. I need to do something that's uh, religious. And therefore, I'm going to get baptized because that's what you do. And if you do that, then, you know, your parents are happy. Your friends are happy. And it's like, no, not so much. Uh, a, a baptism isn't going to get you saved. It isn't going to get you right with God. It's not going to get you into eternity. Now, that's like, for some people, like, well, that's a shock. You know, uh, I thought that's exactly what it did do. And yet, from a Protestant standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, baptism is an outward sign of something that's already taken place in your heart, which is invisible. The invisible thing that has already taken place is you saying, God, I am a sinner. I am not a perfect person, and you are. And I invite you to live within me. And you invite Jesus or you invite His Holy Spirit to live within you. You welcome Him in. And then a transaction has taken place where your nature starts changing. Your desire to do the things that your body craves to do, you need to start fighting against and they diminish. And your desire to do the things that the Spirit wants you to do, you need to listen to and you kind of get encouraged to do the things that are spiritual. But a transaction has taken place where you now belong to God. And you become Christ's child. 
And that happens through faith. It does not happen because you tried hard. It does not happen because you cleaned up your life. It does not happen because you stopped looking at pornography. It does not happen because you stopped drinking. It does not happen because you get baptized. It happens because you believe in Christ. And what you are believing in is that Christ, God, God Himself, died on a cross. And in dying on the cross, He was searching after you. And He was expressing His love that He loves you. And He's saying, you are imperfect, and I am God. I am perfect. I'm dying on the cross for you, and I'm taking away all your perfections, and I'm giving you my love. That's what, what's happening. And you can only do that by faith. Any sense of working towards that is, is futile. So as we look at baptism uh, and understand baptism, this is a very basic Christian um, understanding and teaching, but it's so misunderstood or so polluted that, you know, it just warrants repeated uh, preaching just to, like, encourage us that Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. Jesus is who is good, and we, we just aren't. So if we look at Galatians uh, 3.26, uh, which we looked at last, last week, it says this, For you are all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Last week's teaching. But Romans 6.14 says, sin is no longer your master. And Romans 6.16, don't you realize that you, became the that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So Romans is telling us, look, you can... Be a slave to what your sinful nature craves. And if you obey that craving, you will become a slave to that. Or you can become a slave to the Spirit of God and the things of God. And Paul in Romans is saying, be a slave to that. Be a slave to God. Because when you're a slave to God, good things happen in your life. God loves you. So he's contrasting uh, that imagery of slavery. And he said, whatever it is that you feed, whatever you worship, is what you will be a slave to. So think about it. If you're worshiping money, if you're worshiping your job, if you're worshiping your wife, you'll become a slave to that. If you're worshiping pornography, it will entrap you. But if you're worshiping God and you're pushing into the things of the Spirit, you will become a slave to the things of the Spirit and to God. And I'm telling you, that's a great thing to be a slave to. I mean, we don't use the word slavery today in any positive context. But in biblical sense, it's saying, be shackled to God, be lined up to God, be linked to God. Be connected to good thing. So uh, in Galatians, we have a different word picture uh, in Galatians 3.27. It's a wonderful word picture. It says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. So there's this picture of when you become a Christian, you are taking clothes that are dirty, stinky and you are getting brand new clothes and you're putting them on and you like are transformed by your clothing. Uh, but this imagery is steeped in the Old Testament in Isaiah uh, chapter 64 verse 6 where it says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So picking up on that imagery... In Isaiah, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, 
He's saying, look, when you try and be as great and as good as you are and you do all the great things and you're so proud of yourself and you're such a good person, you're so moral and you do all these great things and you lift it up to God and you say, God, look how hard I've tried and look how great I am and look how pure I am. Look how I read my Bible. Look how I pray and look how I help people and look at me and look at me. Isaiah's saying, that's filthy rags. And you're like, oh, I was just being so righteous and so good. And, you know, I've said this again, and I get misunderstood every time I say this, but I tell you it's worth, it's, it's worth repeating. We think that we are far greater than what we are. We think we are far better than we are. We think we're such good people with minor defects, but we're really good people. That's our standard mindset. Isaiah's mindset and Paul's mindset is we are awful people. You know, like we are sinners. And when we, like, marginalize and we think the little thing, it's, Imperfect in our life, from God's standpoint, that's a big enough thing to separate us. So on the one hand, we think we're so great. On the other hand, we minimize what Christ has done on the cross. And uh, we think, yeah, well, that's okay. You know, he did a little thing for us on the cross, and I don't fully understand it. But what we minimize is that God really, really loves us. I mean, he really loves us. And he's done something really significant by dying on the cross for us. He didn't send like somebody else. God sent himself to die on the cross for us. And, you know, we, we misunderstand, we minimize the love that God has for us. Now, next week is Father's Day, and I want to press into the love that God the Father has for us. We want to look at this. Because the love that God has for us is huge. God is pursuing us. God loves us. He knows that we've made mistakes and, and that we're sinners and all the crazy things we get up to. And He says, I still love you. I'm pursuing you. I don't love the things that you're doing, but I love you. And, and, and I want to have a relationship with you. And I've given you Christ to straighten out our lives. So the imagery of Galatians 3.27, uh, in context with what Paul's trying to say, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of Romans around, and uh, this is a Roman uh, province of Galatia, and talking to these churches in this area, it's the imagery that they would have in their mind is this. When a young boy reaches the age of maturity, and he becomes a man, the, the symbolism to become like a man was to put on a toga. You know, one of those like Roman skirty things with leather and everything. That one in those days was like a real macho thing. Okay, so when you move from being a, a boy into being a Roman citizen, a man, you put on that skirty thing and you were macho and it was like a visual image and you were putting on new clothes. That's what the image that Paul uh, was getting to. So uh, another kind of thing that's happening in context here that Paul is communicating is saying, look, when you guys were leaving Egypt, you were like slaves. And uh, in the interim, you needed the law to kind of like help you along because you hadn't fully matured yet. But now you've come of age and uh, you have fully matured. And now you have Christ. And now that you've got Christ, you don't need the law. You don't need the, the childish things, the baby things. You now like mature. So put on Christ. You see the imagery that he's, that he's getting at to those people. I mean, we have to go back because that's the context that this has been spoken to. Now, my favorite verse when I'm preaching at baptisms like today uh, is Romans uh, 6.3. You know, and in Romans 6.3, it says this. 
Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we are now raised to life as he was. So the imagery is a different one. Instead of new clothes, this imagery is one of death by like drowning. It's like, okay, here you are. You think you're fully alive. Let me show you. I'm going to put you underwater. I'm going to immerse you. And if I hold you there, you will die. And that is a great thing because when I pull you out, you're going to be a new person. You will breathe again and you will be alive. Just like Christ died and was put in the ground and he was buried and he was dead on the third day. Yank him out. He is alive. And that's the imagery that we get. It's like a whole different nature is being buried under the water and we're coming out with a new personality. We're bringing life. We're breathing life of Christ, the Holy Spirit within us. I mean, that's what we're doing. And so publicly, uh, when you get to that point, when you're saying, you know what, I, I understand this and I've got enough uh, guts it in me to say I can publicly demonstrate this in a Hopkins State Park. I want to get baptized. That's, that's what you're doing. You're saying, okay, publicly I want to express what nobody can see that's happened inside my heart. And uh, so today we've got five people getting baptized. My mother, which I'm uh, delighted, uh, is getting baptized, Henriette. And it was kind of funny. I was speaking to my daughter uh, and my daughter on the speakerphone, and my daughter says, Grandma, that's exactly where I got baptized. I'm like, ooh, cool. I baptized my daughter, I baptized my mom. Same place. Pretty special. And we've got Mariah Graves and Ernesto and uh, Edelina and, and Karen. So, whoo, good day. Looking forward to it. All right, so uh, if you're filling in the blanks, baptism is not salvation. Baptism is an outward sign of an invisible uh, inside change. And last point I want to make is baptism recognizes our equality, not our superiority. And so Galatians 3.28 says, There's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor free, female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And, you know, this is just like a big deal. I mean, it was a big deal in the day that Paul said it because he said no longer Jew nor Gentile. I mean, that was just like a mind-boggling uh, thing to be saying when the Jews have spent their whole life trying to be holy, trying to be separate, trying to be their own entity, not being polluted by anybody else. And now all of a sudden, Paul's saying, hey, you're all equal. If you come to Christ, uh, it, it, being, being Jewish and being holy and being like super, no, it, it, you are now equal. It's like, wait a bit, I thought I was special. No, this is the special if you followers of Christ. I mean, it's, a, it's like a radical change. And I tell you, that radical change is with us today. I mean, you talk about white and black. Uh, you talk about rich and poor. I mean, that equality is still something that we're wrestling with. And uh, right here in Galatians, you know, here we have it. You know, put on new clothes. You're all equal. We all, you know, this is like a call for social justice. And it's not just like black, white, Jew, Gentile. I mean, it's male, female. I mean, it took like a lot of years for the biblical truth of equality between male and female to come to the fore. And it's sort of perverted that often it's the church which is perceived to be sort of the party of no, when the church is really the party of yes. It's like yeah, no longer slave nor free. Don't let 
church doctrine. I mean, I come from South Africa. I understand how they've used the Bible, so to speak, to support apartheid and say, you know, whites are one group, do your own thing. Blacks, another group, just do your own thing somewhere else. Equal and opposite, you know. But, and using biblical, you know, misteaching to justify that. And yet here we have the clear teaching of Christ uh, saying equal, black and white, slave and free. You know, like we know about sl slavery. This was an American phenomenon. And it was biblically so-called justified. And yet here we have biblical, you know, black and white, clear evidence that this is not a good thing. And as we see on colleges today, this is still an issue. We, we need to eradicate the sense that there's a people group that's inferior to us, either by color or by wealth or by whatever. There's no those people. We don't point at anybody and say those people like we superior to them. It's us. And there's something in us which is fighting for social justice and, and what's right. And, uh, you know, the, the passage in, in uh, Colossians, uh, Paul is saying this all in a different way. The same thing in a different way. And I want to just close out by reading uh, Colossians uh, to you, chapter 3, verse, verse uh, 10 through, uh, through 15. It says this, Instead of saying, uh, put on new clothes, uh, now Paul is saying, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Okay, so the admonition is that we become like Christ. We spend the rest of our lives, once you've received Christ, this is not like, you know, one time done and gone. It's like the rest of your life, you're becoming more like Christ. This is an ongoing deal that we, we never uh, stop doing. So put on your new na nature and become like Christ. In, his, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you are barbaric, whether you're uncivilized, slave or free. All Christ in all is that what matters. Christ is all that matters and that He lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters and that He lives in all of us. When we put on Christ, when Christ is in us, there's something that just rises up in our heart. And we say, that's what matters. That's what's important. These other differences we can sort out and we need to sort out. We need to figure it out. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now that is just such a richly encouraging, you know, difficult text. I mean, sum it up this way. And, you know, this is the significance of baptism. It's like it's in our face. We're saying, here we are as a group of people. There's no possible ways that this group of people would get together for any other reason. I mean, I, I guarantee you, if I said, okay, let's all go and watch the Red Sox play, you'd be like, oh. And some of you would be saying, yeah, at last. If I say, you come, 
come to my place, you can join me on my slip and slide. You know, all three of you, the kids, are, yeah, great idea. And the rest of you would be like, Yo, are you kidding me? I've got better things to do with my life. I mean, there's only one reason we all get together, because we are passionate or want to be passionate about Jesus. That puts a motley group of people together. And it means that there's going to be a lot of conflict because like, we have whole different worldviews, understandings. And Christ is saying, we need to figure it out. And that's easier said than done. And often, you know, that's on my shoulders. It's like, you know, you make a good point and this person makes a good point and you know, I'll put you both and look at each other. It's like, okay, I, I, I don't know how we live together harmoniously and love each other. But that's the, the call of Christ. We, we have to forgive. We have to try. We have to work towards it. And there's a sense that with Christ, we can do it. And so I want to leave us today with the sense that we understand what Christ is asking us to do. Uh, we know it's impossible, quite honestly. Uh, and yet, it is possible with the Spirit within us. And there's a sense where Paul is saying, we don't do this with like, you know, a sadness and depression. And it's like, okay, I just give up. I just like hate this person. They always sit next to me in church. I don't know why they do that. You know, I just, I know I have to forgive them. I just can't forgive them. I, I try to, no, Paul says, think about this with thankfulness. Think about like all the great things Christ has done. And let's have a heart and an attitude of what has happened, not what hasn't happened, not the inadequacies, not the imperfections. But be thankful because of what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. It's a very hopeful, uplifting message of thanksgiving that Paul is putting in us. And it's linked to baptism. So uh, let me just pray. Jesus, I just uh, lift up every person here today. Lord, we all are desperately in need of your Holy Spirit to continue to transform us from within. That, uh, that again and again we just are filled with your love and your desire to want to forgive and your willingness to reconcile and uh, the ability to be shaped and molded uh, as you move in us. And Lord, uh, we just thank you for this beautiful picture that we have of baptism, uh, you know, of coming out of the water clean and, and new and, and fresh uh, and uh, the pictures of your Holy Spirit when you were baptized descending on you and you know, something happening which is greater than just our own strength and thoughts. And so, Lord, I just pray for your people today that you would empower them, that you would help them. Lord, that you would give us the ability to be thankful people and to see the good that you are doing in our lives daily. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand if you can and uh, let's uh, close out in worship as the worship team comes on up. And then we'll have some prayer uh, at the end of this.